But we also saw an opportunity for a different type of solution than, you know, just uh, the ability to get introductions to connections. And, uh, you know, we, we've used other platforms like your Upworks and your Fivers and this and that to hire freelancers in the past. And those often work quite well for tactical production type support. And, and so, yeah, Growth Match in many ways is, is our answer to a lot of the challenges we had, shortcomings we saw in other solutions in the market, and also studying, you know, what did we do that, that did work and how do we productize that? I'm Shelby Stevens, uh, co-founder and CEO of Growth Match, growthmatch.com. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Shelby Stevens took another swing the startup path by building the marketplace for fractional experts. All this and more on Code Story. Back in 2019, we had Shelby Stevens on the show to talk about his project called Jolly. Since that time, the COVID pandemic shut down events and crippled their progress. They pivoted the product a bit to be sort of an e-commerce-like site for freelancers to offer services. While they let their Jolly pivot grow, he and his co-founder started building a new product, one which allows startup experts to offer their knowledge and experiences in a fractional part-time manner. This is the creation story of Growth Match. Before we jump too far into Growth Match, tell me about Jolly, the state of Jolly, what's happened since we last chatted. Sure. So it's been a while. I think uh, we last talked maybe two and a half years ago. Um, So since then, we went through the Techstars Accelerator. We went through the Techstars Austin program. Had a great experience with that. Jolly at that time was a market network. We had about 45,000 users. Our user base was mostly you know, independent contractor, freelancer type workers in the event space. So we had a lot of bartenders, servers, security guards, you know, think about going to a music festival, basically all the types of folks who work at an event like that. We finished the Techstars Accelerator on March 4th. And two days later was when they canceled South by Southwest and kind of everybody, at least down here in Austin, realized, okay, COVID is going to be really, really serious. Our entire beachhead market, the event space, just completely imploded. Our core kind of value proposition uh, to businesses come, you know, recruit and find your workers here. And our core value prop to our supply side, come here and build your reputation, build your network, find work opportunities, you know, was, was, non-ex- was non-existent. We couldn't deliver on it. You know, that was a tough time for everybody, right? The beginning of COVID, nobody, kind of, nobody knew what was going on, how serious it was. And so we took some time to, to think about what we were going to do. Um, we thought about keeping that product in market. And in hindsight, I think that would have been really smart because right now I think the product would be doing quite well. Um, but for a bunch of different reasons, we, we basically couldn't do that. And so we thought about what to do and we decided to take a little kernel of that product, which was the user profile, and uh, turn it into more of an e-commerce tool which sounds kind of weird, but um, fast forward to today and Jolly is 
basically, um, it's kind of like Shopify, but if you sell services instead of physical products. Um, so it's a tool for independent contractors, freelancers, um, anybody who wants to sell services to other folks, they can real quickly spin up a uh, kind of a personal site. They can serve it on their own domain if they want to. And it gives them some really simple out-of-the-box functionality to showcase, you know, who they are, some about their experience and customer testimonial, stuff like that, and then offer kind of productized or packaged service offerings that folks can can purchase with a credit card. You can sell, you know, one-off types of offerings. You can sell weekly subscriptions, monthly subscriptions. If you do kind of retainers or if you're a coach, you do coaching engagement, stuff like that. So it's a really, it's a really nice tool. It's a very low price point tool. So it's priced right now at 18 bucks a month, which is probably too high. It probably needs to be more like nine bucks a month or something. So Jolly is going to, it's going to take a long time to grow because our price point is really low. Our growth channels are really constrained. We basically can only grow with virality, organic content, search, stuff like that. Jolly has a really nice place in the market. Uh, and I think it will be successful. It's just going to take a really long time uh, to, to be, you know, kind of meaningful size, meaningful revenue. And, uh, and that's where Jolly is today. And so about four or five months ago, my co-founder and I decided to keep Jolly on the rails and let it grow kind of slowly and steadily over time and, and build a new product, which I'm sure we'll get into. That's where Jolly is today. Well, thanks for walking me through that. So let's jump into the meat of Growth Match then. So tell me about Growth Match and what the product is and, um, you know, the story and getting started building it. We've been in this space around tools for, you know, both managing a flexible workforce and tools for people who want to build their own independent career. That's obviously what, you know, what Jolly today is largely uh, designed to help people do. So we've, we've been in this space a long time and my, my co-founder, Zach, and I, by no means are we are we good? Are we really good at everything an early stage startup needs to do? But we've at least been through the process now uh, four times together. And we have a pretty good idea of the different challenges that a founder will encounter. In some ways, the order that they will need to go through those challenges. We've learned a lot on both the, the side of what it's like to be an early stage founder and those challenges. And we've also learned a lot uh, about what it's like to be an independent contractor. Zach does user research, uh, kind of customer discovery uh, work with startups, and I do some brand product design. Growth Match is kind of the answer to these two parallel experiences of being a startup founder and then also building a, a consulting practice. And here's, here's how it works. So one of the big lessons we learned going through the early stage as founders is that it's really hard to build a team. And it's also really important to build a team. And it's hard for a number of reasons. One, you know, you usually don't have a lot of resources, so it's hard to be able to afford to hire great people. One way to characterize the early stage startup journey is it's just one new challenge after the next, right? And the challenges are, are, are different. You'll, you'll face one challenge, you'll solve it, and the next challenge is something you know, new and different. If, if you hire somebody specialized real early to help you solve an important you know, problem or overcome an important challenge, what often happens is the next challenge that you're facing, and that person that you hired is not specialized and isn't experienced in, in solving it. Um, and so we found an approach that worked really well for us and that Growth Match is designed to facilitate for startups is that it, worked really, it works really well for us 
to hire fractional specialists. So if you're facing a user research challenge early and you're struggling to validate the customer problem or whatever, uh, if you hire someone fractional who can help you solve that problem, it's great for all parties um, because you can usually hire someone significantly more experienced and better fractionally than you'd be able to afford full-time. You can solve that challenge faster. So that's what Growth Match is at the core, is it's a marketplace that matches startups with specialists and both sides are vetted. So startups apply to join, we vet them to make sure they've at least raised pre-seed financing. We have admitted some who are bootstrapped but are doing meaningful revenue. Um, the key is to you know just make sure that they're kind of a legitimate team and they're working on something meaningful. We also vet the specialists, and so these are folks who are either you know consultants or freelancers who specifically want to work with startups, or they are. You know, folks who work full-time at maybe an established tech company who would love to work with a startup uh, on the side for a fractional or part-time uh, project, but you know don't want to go build a pipeline and go nurture a network to try to find prospects. And so we vet both sides and then some cool features inside Growth Match. At the core, obviously, we're matchmaking. So a startup says, you know, this is this is a challenge we're facing. Um, we're helping you know make sure that actually is the, the challenge that they should be thinking about solving, or if there's a root a root challenge underneath it, maybe solve that one first, and then we're matching them with someone who uh, who can really help them overcome that challenge as quickly as possible. Uh, so that's what growth match is. Let's dive into the MVP. So that first product you built, and and I know you mentioned it, it's it's early, so maybe it's a bit of what you have right now, but. Tell me about the first version of the product you, you built, how long it took you to build, and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life. In the past, we've kind of jumped into building too much product. And by too much product, I mean, you know, something either too custom or just too feature rich too early. This mistake is so costly for founders for a bunch of different reasons. And I think it's super, super common because founders gravitate to solve the problems that they feel comfortable and equipped to solve. And founders shy away from working on problems that feel uncomfortable. I think commonly this manifests in, like just a ex common example is founders who are maybe technical or product focused or design focused founders, they, they bias toward designing and building a product. And if they don't have a lot of experience, for example, with user research and customer discovery, then they maybe don't do enough of it or they don't do the right type. And so they end up building the wrong stuff that either customers aren't willing to pay for or that don't solve the right problem problems for the customer. The other advantage that we have now is that there are a lot more tools on the market that make it really easy to build an MVP without having to build something custom. So there are a ton of no-code tools and off-the-shelf app builders. And I think these can be really, really great in a lot of cases for founders to build an MVP. We started doing customer discovery for Growth Match, oh gosh, four or five months ago maybe. We did a couple of months of user research. We got done in a couple of months what I think a lot of other founders would take maybe six months to do, um, partially because Zach is really, really good with user research. So we did probably 60 customer interviews in two months. Since Growth Match is a marketplace, that's split on two sides. Right? We, we have two customers. We have 
you know, tech startup founders and their core teams uh, on the one side. And then on the other side, we have consultants or folks who want to work with startups, right? Side note here is that another huge advantage of, um, of uh, being your customer, being really close to your customer twofold. One is you can kind of hone in on the problem space faster if you are your target customer or if you know them really well. And the other advantage is that you probably, if you are the customer or you are, or you're, you've worked with the target customer before as a founder, you probably have a lot of them in your network. So you can recruit interview participants much faster. And that was true in this case for us because we both are and have worked with our target customer on both sides of the marketplace. Basically, we did kind of some intensive customer discovery. We learned enough about what the solution needed to be to feel confident to, to build uh, an MVP. And uh, we looked at a few options for building a no-code MVP and we found an off-the-shelf marketplace builder called ShareTribe that we have used to set up the alpha. They have a more flexible option that's more expensive. We're using kind of their entry-level option. It's, I think, 150 bucks a month. It's very constrained in terms of the features and what you can change and all that kind of stuff. But for us, for the alpha, it's totally fine. One of our core features is this thing called a working session, where our specialists, once they're, once they're vetted and they've, they've joined Growth Match, they can offer one or more working sessions. And these are one-on-one -on -one video conversations where they're truly working on one of the startup's most pressing challenges. And what's cool is that the specialist says, look, I'll do 30 or 45 or 60, minute, uh, 60 minutes with you in a working session to address this specific challenge. So there's about 150 of them in Growth Match today. We're adding five or 10 a week. Um, and these are concretely defined by the, the specialist. So the specialist says, I'll do a working session with you to optimize your Facebook ads account. So there's like real tactical stuff like that. Or there's more strategic working sessions where let's look at your go-to-market strategy or let's talk about your fundraising strategy or whatever. So um, that the alpha that we built with ShareTribe is that feature basically where our specialists can add these working sessions. They can, you know, define them in all the ways I just described. And then the startups, once they're vetted on, on board, they can sign in, they can go through search, browse, um, find the working sessions, request the working sessions. Um, and that's the, that's kind of the extent that of the functionality that ShareTribe can facilitate for us today. We're augmenting that with Airtable, for example, we, we realized that we need, obviously we need a directory, right? Where startups can go through and look through all the specialists and see what they're truly specialized in, see their experience, uh, request a discovery call if, if they have a hiring need, that kind of thing. Broadly speaking, our approach this time around is, you know, use inexpensive, easy, fast tools to deliver each core feature as we gain confidence that the feature is what the customer needs and then let them use that feature for a while uh, without worrying too much about making it fancy uh, and get some additional feedback really solidify our understanding of exactly what the feature needs to be so we're going to start designing the beta this month we probably won't build it till early next year um, but I'm confident that when we do build the beta, uh, it'll be you know precisely what the customer needs. It actually covers my next question, which is you know what sort of decisions and trade-offs are you making? It sounds like you know the big decision was to to go away from the custom development based on historical lessons. 
Yeah, I guess the balance that I think you have to strike is, look, you know, are you delivering the core thing that the customer wants? And if you are, then the actual kind of interface to deliver that is way less important to the customer. Now, you know, the, you're trading off other stuff around an elegant user experience. I think the trade-off is totally worth it, totally worth it, because, you know, once you're confident, I think building custom and building, you know, building something custom is totally fine. It's probably it's what you should do, unless that can be delivered with a no-code tool completely or a low-code tool completely. Being able to, to get somebody a feature really fast really early, way faster and way cheaper than you'd otherwise be able to do it and start getting some feedback on that. It's just incredibly helpful. As you progress the product in the future, you know, how are you going to go about maturing it and what are you planning or what process are you going to go through to build your roadmap and figure out, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or the starting point to build the, you know, the software based solution. I don't know the exact process we'll go through yet. It'll look similar to what we've done in the past. Um, we'll just be more, you know, I think more careful to, to truly validate that there's willingness to pay on, you know, for each specific feature. That's another thing that we've learned over, you know, between the last time we built a product and, and this one. Um, we found a really great book called Monetizing Innovation. It's a pretty simple read, but it's just a framework for how do you test early your customer's willingness to pay for uh, for an innovation, for a, for a solution to a problem. One of the things that uh, kind of that book paired in tandem with one that one of our investors recommended called Founding Sales uh, by Pete Kazanjic. The, the TLDR of founding sales is like, okay, you're a founder, you can and need to learn how to sell and you should be selling really early. Um, the lessons we took from that book paired with some of the framework from monetizing innovation of how you test willingness to pay has been really helpful and we'll be using that more heavily this time around. And what I mean is, you know, one of the, like just an example is for monetizing innovation, you do this, you do a max, you, you do what's called a max diff with your, with your target customer for each feature, right? So you're asking the users, the target users, or in our case, we'll have you know, existing users at the alpha, uh, which features they're, you know, they have they have kind of this the strongest willingness to pay for, um, and so that's going to be really important this time around to us when we get into to road mapping and that kind of stuff. Before we get there, though, um, you know, we'll we'll be faced with this process of building the beta, which is going to be um, uh, uh, just a heavy lift, right? We're, we're gonna we're gonna try to get something designed and built that gives us the infrastructure to to then go into the road mapping and and all that stuff. Uh, and that process is is that's really what we're going through now, right? So we're doing sales on both sides. Uh, we're building you know a seedling of recurring. We're building a seedling of revenue coming in from both sides. We're building a user base on both sides. We're learning a lot about, you know, what the customer needs in their first couple of weeks or month, uh, and then what their engagement profile should look like on an ongoing basis beyond that, um, and and stacking features up accordingly to support the to support that. So, then let's switch to team. And right now, is it just you and Zach? 
it is full time. Now, maybe needless to say, we also use Growth Match ourselves, um, and it's incredibly powerful.、Um, and what I mean is,、uh, so it's 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 me and Zach. We're we're the co-founders. Zach、uh, is he leads most of our user research, but he, he's kind of technically head of product and product right now in Alpha. There's a lot of it's it's a lot of customer success, and, and that's where he's spending his time.、Um, and then I. I'm doing most of our growth and acquisition. I do all the sales stuff, sales demos, that kind of thing. We've been augmenting our team with specialists from Growth Match and having a lot of success with it. So we needed to move through a design、uh, project. Hired one of the fractional、uh, designers on Growth Match. Had a really, really great experience. Where we'll go from here is we'll basically be. Constructing a team of these fractional A players across go-to-market,、uh, go-to-market sales,、um, growth strategy,、um, some product folks, and、uh, customer success, and、uh, and that's how we'll be building our team. And and it's really effective, partially because, like I said earlier, you know you you can kind of map out the main challenges that your early team should focus on solving. You can bring on a specialist to solve that challenge, and when the challenge is kind of overcome, like I said earlier, the next challenge is often quite different, and you can,、uh, you know, shake hands with the with the fractional specialist that you worked with. Everybody had a good experience. We'll probably work together again pretty soon, but right now we're gonna, you know, go to the next person who's really great at solving this this next other challenge that we're facing. That makes sense. You're growing with your growth, and you're using the right resources when you need. Win and it's really cool. You're you're also proving the value of your platform、uh, by by using it to build your own company. That's really cool. Yeah, and you know I didn't go too much too deep into this earlier, but a lot of dots connected to to form this idea for a product, and、um, you know some of those dots were what do we wish we'd had last time around? What worked for us last time around? Uh, you know how, how do we, how can we articulate what worked about what we've done the last few times we've built a product?、Um, what hasn't worked with existing solutions?、Um, and Zach and I have tried a lot of existing solutions. I mean, we we went through TechStars. We loved. We had a great experience. We're part of the TechStars network and continue to get tremendous value from being part of that network. We also saw an opportunity for a different type of solution than. You know, just、uh, the ability to get introductions to connections, and you know, so so those are some of the dots that connected.、Uh, you know, we we've used other platforms like your Upworks and your Fivers and this and that to hire freelancers in the past, and those often work quite well for tactical production type support. We did not have a lot of experience with finding folks who are super super experienced who can. You know, solve some of these more mission critical, strategic challenges around what should our go to market be, and how do we get our sales system in place, and how do we set up our rev ops stack, and how do we get our analytics infrastructure set up? You know, all this kind of stuff.、Um, and and so yeah, growth match in many ways is is our answer to a lot of the challenges we had, shortcomings we saw in other solutions in the market, and also studying you know what did we do that that did work, and how do we productize that for for other people. This will be interesting, and I kind of, I kind of know the answer based on how you're 
how you are building it. Um, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I kind of want to see where your head's at with it. What, let's talk about scalability. So are you, are you building this to scale even when you're using the, you know, the non-custom type tools? Are you building it to scale efficiently? Um, or are you going to be fighting this as you grow and then, you know, sort of redesigning as you start building the, you know, the custom beta? Two broad categories around scalability. One is actual technical scalability. Um, and two is kind of model scalability. And I think the latter will be much more of our challenge than the former. So definitely not worried about scalability in the alpha, really not worried about it in the beta either. Um, we're going to continue vetting both sides for a while. Um, and so there's, there's not really this, um, there's not really a, a risk of, there's not as much of a risk of the product being kind of technically overloaded. Um, but to that point, right, there's model scalability. So the questions around scalability that we'll be facing are, uh, how do we continue really thoroughly vetting both sides at scale? How do we facilitate um, relationships at scale in a way that doesn't create some of the negative uh, effects of what you see in other marketplaces? So an example of that, right, is like with Upwork, uh, and other marketplaces, certain you know, service marketplaces, often as you scale, you see uh, some downward. You see downward pricing pressure. You see commoditization of service offerings and and service providers, um, and uh, and we're you know we're really mindful of that, and and we'll be designing specifically to avoid those. Um, we've been, I think I mentioned last time we talked, we've been really. Uh, fortunate and heavily fortunate to know and heavily influenced by some of the work by Joe Edelman and the human systems team around personal values and how you design for your users values uh, to support your users values and all, and all that kind of stuff and uh, very much carrying that forward with this product as well so yeah the, the high level answer is you know we're not too worried about technical scalability more worried about and maybe not worried about just more focused on model and operational scalability. So I know it's early, but you've accomplished a lot already in a short amount of time. So, you know, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I think with growth match, we have an opportunity to, to kind of, double whammy our impact. And what I mean is with the products we've built before, take Jolly, for example, the purpose of Jolly is to give people a tool that they can use to build an independent career, independent of any platform, right? So uh, if you want to sell services online and build your network and build your, uh, build your business, then that's, that's what Jolly is built for. And, uh, and Zach and I have, long been really passionate about giving people the ability, helping people do that, um, making it easier to, to do that, to build an independent career. And, uh, and with growth match, you know, we're, when, when I say double whammy, our purpose, I mean, you know, growth match is designed to, to do that for our supply side, but in tandem, what we're doing on our demand side for startups is ultimately, you know, if we're doing our job, more startups are succeeding and more startups are getting to product market fit faster. And this is really 
profound because when you when you get to an early version of product market fit faster as a startup everything gets easier it gets easier to raise money it gets easier to recruit great full-time team members it gets easier to form partnerships you retain more ownership of the business less dilution because you can raise on better terms like there are all these reasons there are all these um, huge benefits of doing that and uh and i and i think even beyond all of that we all know the impact that even one successful startup can have on the world on making a market better or a population better or whatever um and if we can play a role in helping more startups fulfill their vision of how the world can be made better the downstream effects of that are you know are amazing are huge and that's what's getting you know that that's what gets us really excited about growth matches is we're kind of blending our passion for helping people build sustainable successful independent careers with our passion for for startups and for helping founders fulfill their vision of how the world can be better and uh and I'm and I'm and I'm proud of how we've uh, we've found a way to blend those two purposes into one uh and I'm super excited about where that's going to take us. Let's flip the script a little bit, Shelby. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Yeah, you know, one one mistake here here's a good one. So one mistake we made here, so we we started working on we started working toward you know what it, what became Growth Match, uh, I don't know four or five months ago, and one of the things we did is we we searched for a name. I'm a big advocate for startups having a good brand identity early, and uh, we made a huge mistake here. And what we did is, you know, we had a bunch of good name ideas, and and ultimately. We were able, we found growthmatch.com, and getting getting a good URL is obviously important for a bunch of reasons. And so we we found growthmatch.com, and what we did when we when we created the actual design of the brand identity, we uh, we we took a bunch of inspiration from from different you know different brands that were related or whatever, uh, you know tangential spaces um, or just brands that we admired. Um, but what we did out of laziness is we made our brand identity too close to a competitor, and uh, and in some cases, you know, in the, in the case of like a landing page, it was it was laid out in a similar way, and um, and this was a huge mistake because when we launched, we heard from them, right, and uh, and our product is to- is very different. Um, but they were frustrated and totally, you know, rightly so. And so I think the big picture take and, and, you know, what did we do about it? So we changed it as quickly as possible. Um, you know, some of the stuff that was too close and then we started the process, which we haven't finished yet of designing a new kind of aesthetic language. So, you know, graphic imagery and stuff like that, um, that'll really both set us apart from the market, but also, um, emphasize what's unique about, about growth match. Um, and so I think this this was a mistake, right? In our in our haste to get something into the market, um, we just landed too close to to uh, uh, 
to someone who was already in the market and it was a big mistake. And, you know, I think we, I think we handled it the right way. We reacted really quickly. Um, we didn't push back. It was, you know, it was like, yeah, you guys are right. We're too close. We need to change it. And we changed it. And, um, and so I think the takeaway there is, you know, brand matters early. Uh, your aesthetic matters early and, um, don't rush through it. You know, take your time and make sure it's unique. And then it really, it really does emphasize what's unique about your product and the problem that you're solving for, for your customer so that you don't start off on this footing of confusion. I'm sure you have a lot to say about this question given so early. Uh, what does the future look like for the product and for your team? I'm really excited about where we're headed. So we're going about building growth match in a very methodical and systematic way. We're not getting out over our skis on product and in other categories as well. Um, but the fundamentals look really good. So the, you know, the, the actual kind of financials of the business will be very solid. Um, and, you know, at this point we've, we've, I feel like we've kind of, we've been around the block a few times and I think this is, this is an opportunity and we're taking the opportunity, um, to, to build growth match in what we think is the right way. Everyone else may not agree. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, you know, I think if you fast forward, you know, what's the future? I think you said, what does the future look like? If you fast forward a year or two years, I think that growth match our core offering, what, what I've described today, um, will be very, very strong. So we'll have uh, a really strong network of early stage startups and specialists. And essentially, we, we will have built a community of, of folks who um, both work to change the world, that's the startups, and folks who know how to get it done, um, the specialists. And I think that, as I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about our purpose, I think the implications of that will be uh, will be profound it will be really powerful and you know again looking a year or two out i'm also really excited about the opportunities kind of on both sides of where we are today so what can we do for even earlier stage founders idea stage founders maybe your aspirational your folks who aspire to be founders um, what can we do there and then on the other side is for even later stage startups, um, you know, how can we bring some of our solution to bear to help uh, later stage startups augment their own existing teams or um, solve some other problems around, uh, around expertise and experience. Um, and so I'm really excited about, about, about that as well, looking out into the, to the future. Well, I've asked this before, Shelby, but I'm going to ask for a repeat answer. Or maybe it's changed since we last talked, but... Who influences the way that you work? Name a person that you look up to and why. There, there are a lot, and uh, and I'd like to name more than one. Um, I mentioned uh, I mentioned how impactful Joe Edelman's work has been on our um, ability to and uh, uh, willingness to study and to design to support our users' values. Um, so that's one. Um, Amos Schwartzfarb, who manages Techstars Austin, has had a huge influence on both my founder and me. Um, he's written a few books that 
go into detail about how he works with founders and, uh, and I would recommend his books for sure. One is called Levers, one is called Sell More Faster. Um, but Amos, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to call Amos a friend and to, to have a really strong relationship with him and yeah, he's, been, he's been really helpful. Another person who has had influence on us um, starting more recently is one of our investors. His name is Rick Barry. He founded Demand Force, um, which was sold to Intuit. And uh, he is, uh, he's, he's one of our investors and an advisor. We speak with him weekly. Um, and he is maybe the most, he has maybe the best intuition of, of anyone I've ever worked with. He can, in about 30 seconds, the initial 30 seconds of a conversation talking about a different topic somehow understands what, like, what the real problem is that you're facing. And then my co-founder, Zach, has changed how I, how I work. He, Zach, you know, starting three or four years ago, started learning and getting really good at user research. And, um, that has had a huge, huge impact on how I work and how I think about what we should do next and where we should augment the team and where we need more expertise. Um, I think that is a huge blind spot for most founders, um, for, for good reason. And Zach's emphasis on user research has had a profound influence on how we think about building a business. Well, if you could go back to the beginning, which I know hasn't been that long ago, but Let's ask it anyway. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? So we decided initially we needed to build up the supply side of our marketplace just so there was some meat to growth match so we could go out and build demand. Uh, and that was the right approach um, for sure. Our first crack at acquisition on our supply side was super, super effective, um, partially because our user research uh, over the preceding several months, um, we, we, we nailed it. We nailed our understanding of the problem. We nailed our, our ability to articulate the right solution. And so our acquisition efforts were really effective. Um, our efforts on the demand side have taken longer to, um, to, to become effective because we didn't nail the, the problem. We didn't nail the, the problem right out of the gates. Um, and so I think if I could go back, I would have spent a bit more time in customer discovery on uh, validating the problem for one side, for the demand side of our marketplace. Um, and I think you know, with a little bit more discovery, we, we, would, have, we would have landed there. But the, the other thing about that, you know, that I think is, is maybe useful advice for founders is it, it kind of took doing sales to understand how our value proposition was off. Um, and so, so maybe I, you know, maybe I wouldn't do anything differently in, in that sense is kind of, we had to go through the process of, of several cycles of, of sales to even understand, okay, this, this is off and what are we hearing and why is it off and how do we develop some ideas for how to change it? So, um, you know, I, I think we've done a good job this time around of doing sales early. And I think that's so, so important for founders to do. That makes sense. Yeah. Doing sales early is, 
is a hard thing to think of before you have a product or doing it parallel to a product. It seems like a little bit cart before the horse, but you kind of have to parallel that for for certain. And customer discovery, there's so much customer discovery. Well, last question, Shelby, and I think you'll remember this, and it'll be interesting to to hear if your advice changes since the last time you're on the show. But you're getting on a plane, right? And you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? So this this happens to me pretty regularly now. It's, I mean, it's not sitting on a plane, um, not doing a lot of traveling this point. Um, but I, I do talk to early stage founders a lot uh, in the process of, you know, talking to folks who are interested in using growth match. And it's so exciting and it's such a cool part of my job because there are a lot of founders who are passionate about solving problems that are very real. And, uh, and it can become a little discouraging at the same time when I see like some of my past self in, in, in them. Um, and some of the characteristics that I exhibited in the past that I would encourage founders to study in themselves and if they see those characteristics, think about ways of um, you know, adjusting their approach are, I think there are a few. One is just a heavy, heavy emphasis on product um, and not as much emphasis on the customer and the customer problem. Um, you know, the way that I explain growth match, for example, today, I always begin by describing the customer problem. And I think it's a really good way of starting a conversation about what your business does. I think there's some sub bullets there around doing the hard, uncomfortable work of studying the problem and being able to articulate it in the way that your customer articulates it. So I think big picture that's that's some advice that's some advice i would give that's fantastic advice well shelby thank you for being on the show again and uh, telling the creation story of growth match my pleasure no it was so fun and this concludes another chapter of code story code story is hosted and produced by noah laphart be sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or the podcasting app of your choice Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.